You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big money now on new siding from LP Smart Side at Menards. Update and beautify your home with your choice of 13 timeless colors of pre-finished engineered siding. It's durable and includes a Sherwin-Williams factory finish paint warranty that means no painting for years to come. View our entire selection of siding from LP Smart Side today. And don't forget to check out our flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at Menards. Her clothes muddied by Friday's rains, the body of Jenny Bean, 23-month-old daughter of Mr. and Mrs. Charles M. Bean, was found at 11 o'clock Sunday morning in a cornfield two miles away from the Bean farm.
body of long-lost baby is discovered. Reading, PA, August 3rd. Her clothes muddied by Friday's rains, the body of Jenny Beam, 23-month-old daughter of Mr. and Mrs. Charles M. Beam, who wandered away from the home of her parents last Tuesday, was found at 11 o'clock Sunday morning in a cornfield two miles away from the Beam farm. The body was discovered by Theodore Diner Topton, one of the hundred searchers who combed the wooded hills and neighboring farm Sunday. The baby, lost in the maze of the cornfield, evidently died of exhaustion and exposure sometime Friday night, in the opinion of Coroner John H. Rourke. The tot wandered away from home last Tuesday morning, becoming lost in a period of less than ten minutes. Although the alarm was spread immediately, no trace of her could be found, and state police began a statewide hunt for a motorist believed to have struck and injured the little girl and carried away her body to hide the accident in fear of the consequences. Welcome to the Broken Circle. So here we are at part three, and as we open the show with the article, everyone heard that Jenny was found, her body at least. But let's do a quick recap of what we've covered, just quickly to remind people who have listened. If you haven't listened, this is the third episode in the Broken Circle series. Go back and check out the other two episodes. The first episode we heard about Jenny Beam, about how you found out about Jenny Beam, about her family, and about her disappearance. In the second episode, we covered some other strangeness happening in her tiny little area outside of Reading. And in this episode, we talk about sort of the inevitability of what what happens when you buy a memorial card and you start researching it. <laughs> yeah, you kind of knew the end from the beginning. Yeah. I wish it was different. I wish it was like that story that that you had found of the little girl Florence Hughes, is that her name, who went yeah. missing, and then we find out she lives to be 88. Like, I just want that. We talked about that <laughs> on the patron episode of The Broken Circle. There's a very similar article from earlier. It's from the 1880s of Florence Hughes, or was it 1870s? From the late 1800s yeah. of Florence Hughes in another part of Pennsylvania. It's very, very similar. I mean, the story sounds almost identical. And she goes missing, and you asked me, as we're recording... Did you check for her death certificate? No, I just, she was missing and I couldn't find any follow-up articles. Well, you looked for her death certificate, found that she had died at the age of... 88 or something yeah. like that. She lived a really long life. So we knew she had to have been found. And then you were actually able to find the articles where they, she was found. and ended up being this really kind of happy addendum we were able to tag on to the, the patron episode. Mm -hmm. So, and yeah, the, the second episode... We got into the spooky stuff with that that other found skeleton and the red chest and so forth. Uh, Just high strangeness and yeah, reading. That's, that's some <laughs> weird stuff to have two missing children so close together. It doesn't get any less strange. You know, I was contacted by someone. They sent an email after listening. They live in the area and they said, seems odd that hunters would drive 10 miles basically because they, they were raped from around Dryville mm -hmm. to hunt groundhog. 
I don't know, unless they had a camp up there. You know, like yeah. uh, like I know like people in my family, they you know, they, they just have like a hunting camp. I think yeah, it's a they place to go a long way. Yeah, and I think it's just a place to get away. Get away. That's true. So Jenny Beam is found. It's the Sunday morning after her disappearance, the Tuesday before. It's rained in the interim. And she's found in the cornfield by a group of people that were searching for her just 150 yards off the road in a cornfield that has already been searched. One that her grandfather has said he personally searched. It's two miles away from their house. Yeah. Well, there's conflicting reports. It's somewhere between a mile and two miles away. When we went to Dryville, we were at the time pretty sure we were at the right cornfield. But as time went on and the more we read about it, now we're, we're almost... It almost has to be. It almost has to be because, you know, just what we knew about the last place she was seen, which place she was headed, what would have happened if she went the other way, and just the cornfields that are there now. I mean, cornfields change a little bit, but not that dramatically. No. And they might keep, be planted in different rows, but it's still a cornfield. Right. Fields change. I, I mean, you're, you, they had to have cleared the trees to make fields. Mm-hmm. So what they plant in the fields, rather, changes. But the fields themselves tend to stay again and again because clearing trees is, you know, something major. And you can usually tell what's been cleared for a long time and what hasn't. And there was only one other possible candidate. There was a field that didn't have corn in it that had, I think it was just weeds and stuff Mm -hmm. growing up that you could tell was an old field area. But I don't even think that was 150 feet deep, that field. it was. No. This just, there were these two, this area where there was cornfields separated by the small road that goes through and that just seems i mean not only did it fit with every clue that we have to go on but it it just i mean and they gave some other landmarks mm -hmm. and and a schoolhouse and so forth that yeah the rubber school that was close to it yeah we're pretty sure we were there we actually have our on-site recording and and our impressions from the day we went to drive up So we have identified two houses that we think might have been Jenny's home. It might not even be there anymore, too. That's the other thing. And we've done our best to go the route which she walked. There's there's not many places to pull over. But about two miles from our house are two very large cornfields past a swamp where they said they look for her. It's interesting because... Like I was saying in the car, when they say swamp, you think miles and miles I and miles like of swamp. I think like Louisiana. Yeah, and it seems like it's like what, it's like four acres or something, two four acres of a swamp. Yeah, in there. just kind of like part of the the woods just becomes kind of marshy. Yeah. So. But we have figured it out. I think this is definitely the route at this point. It all is. the all, all the things line up to the map that was in the newspaper at the time. I, I mean, we we don't necessarily know. We know where she was seen. There's a big corner. Where they said be careful. And the some who said that to her. Oh, it was um, the the neighbor girl's uncle who was driving her told her to be careful. Be careful around the corner. Mm-hmm. A two-year-old. Not even two-year-old, yeah. Oh, God. Who was walking by herself away from her family farm on the road. Uh, and yeah. and that's from the from the houses we consider candidates. It's either about maybe three-quarters of a mile or a half mile maybe from... Where to, we are now? To, to, well, from the, the houses we think might be might be where she lives so Mm -hmm. yeah 
And then this is probably two miles from them. And the, oh my god, the bugs are insane. Yeah, I think gazing at the corn from inside the car seems just as exciting as uh, standing here uh, in the cornfield and being bitten by a million bugs. It's not really the souvenir I was looking for. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted like a hex sign or some apple butter. I don't really want. So what do you think? Well, they searched, they were really concerned with searching the woods, and there's definitely a perimeter of woods all around this area. There's tons of woods, yeah. A which, lot. which I think if a little kid was going to be go missing, the woods are a really logical place because yeah, they'd be easy to find in a cornfield. Could the f- cornfields be different now? Well, well, doubtfully. I mean, the fields are going to stay the same. Now, whether they plant corn in them or not. Yeah, I mean, maybe they're further back some years, or you know how they they change them up. But I mean, bit. I think this is a very good candidate. Yeah, we'll see what's down the road a little bit further. But for now, I get. I mean, I'm not like a vibes kind of person, but more of like an like an instinctual like where else could it have been? I, is kind of what I was getting from this area. Just because of its proximity to the road. Yeah. Yeah, they said she was not far off the road. I mean, it could have been... There's could a cornfield on either side of the road. Yeah. I still... I mean, okay, say it's a different time period, but still, it's the 1920s, and you see a not-quite-two-year-old walking by themselves I on know, the main road. No I one know. says, I'm going to take you back to your parents' house. I don't yeah. understand that. Can you imagine how scared her parents must have been? Yeah. But it kind of seems like people saw her sort of toddling about. Yeah, I mean, and it wouldn't be. I I don't even like to to like. I would hate to be. What do they call those guys that work for the FBI that get in the minds of criminals? Oh, like a profiler. I would hate to that job. I would hate that job. I don't want to be in that you, person's mind. Yeah, so you have to think like a sick, sick person. But I'm just thinking like, if you're the kind of sick person that takes a kid, and the kid. You either kill the kid or the kid dies in, in, your, in your, we'll put care in quotes. Uh-huh. Are you also the kind of sick person that would return the kid to the area in which people are searching? I mean, it's quite possible. You know what I mean? That kind of. Yeah, and the same thing happened with the Lindbergh case where it was an area that wasn't was only four miles away from the from their home, which had been searched. I mean, everyone was looking for that baby. Yeah. This is a beautiful area up here, but I can see people going missing. I really can. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot, lot of woods. A lot more woods than I thought. It's, the it's, elevation is extremely high. Yeah, at we're this point. we're in the mountains. The woods reminds me of uh, Michaux Forest. It has that same kind of uh, foliage, the elevation and stuff. And uh, we've been sitting here for what twenty minutes, and a car hasn't gone by. Yeah, it's pretty remote still. Yeah, yeah. Would you say the population now of Dryville is like? I think it's less than four hundred or something. Yeah. Did you see that hawk just swoop down and get something? I did not. <laughs> it's down there now eating us. So. I think I'm pretty. I mean, whether that's any of the houses that we saw along there or not, I, I'm pretty well convinced it's that road. This yeah, is definitely the road. Yeah, we were on the right road, and sadly, for like you said, for whatever vibes are worth, I feel like. I feel like this is the f- the field. Yeah. I mean, maybe they'll we'll drive down and we'll see other candidates here. But this is just a really isolated place, kind of how I imagined it. It's not that far away from Reading. No, not terribly far from but Reading. Worlds away. Yeah, I mean, it's not. It's and back then. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's creepy. It's very creepy. Yeah. Like, there, there's a creepy feeling. It's unsettling in the same way, like, um, Hex Hollow's unsettling. Yeah. Like, you... F- I mean... And maybe it's just simply because we know what, what happened. Yeah, yeah. But... But it is unsettling. Yeah. Yeah, maybe it is. Maybe I wouldn't think of it as unsettling at all, but it's just to think that somewhere within... I mean, as we sit right now, we are inside the broken circle. Right. So, couldn't have been more than, you know, a mile or two from here, even if we're completely wrong. Yeah, I mean... I, this, and we're not. I mean, Yeah, this like, map's pretty roads, obvious. It does know. have the, the swamp with the road off to it this way that we took, and we made that loop around, and there was a part that said five, what, five points? Mm-hmm. And there's five points that come together right at that area. One, right. two, three, four, five. Yeah, then it goes right back up through there. Yeah, we're at the right spot. I don't, yeah. I don't have any doubts about that. The black arrow follows the road which the child had to take to reach the place where she was last seen by a neighbor's child. Mm-hmm. And then also, um, we could go up to where the gypsies were, the gypsy camp where, was. Yeah, where was the gypsy camp? Okay, so that's the center of town mm-hmm. where the inn is. It, it would be up this way. Okay, so that's the, that's the way we kind of didn't go. So yeah, that's, that's the only way we didn't go. So you All right, go well, to the gypsy yeah, camp? Yeah, I do. You know, me and gypsies. Yeah. I, 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 uh, I tell the story every year of the gypsies at, at Chiggy's Rock when we go do the Alba Twitch Festival, which no one seems as fascinated as by as I am. Yeah, I don't... They found a gypsy queen there. Doesn't happen every day. Alright, to the gypsies. Mid sorrow, mid sadness, where I am destined to roam. From my view, the pleasures of life I must now bid adieu. I can hear the merry laughs while gathered in the throng. While So who finds Jim? There's some younger men, boys, I guess they call them boys, but I think they're more like teenagers that find her. Just a part of the party of people that are working, looking for her. And it was in an area that was searched before, like you said already. Yeah, and her grandfather specifically mentions in one of the articles that he personally had searched that area before. So there's pretty much 100% conclusiveness that this body ended up there after they searched from just wandering around in starvation that she died there or that someone dropped her body back to that location. Yeah, it's... Once she dies, you know, all of the rudimentary on-site people are, are, are sent there, the police, the coroner, you know, and the first thing that the coroner comes up with, with is this idea that she must have died of starvation or exposure to the elements. Right. But I think if that was going to happen, A, she wouldn't have gone that far, and B, they would have found her beforehand. So this is August. 
late July, early beginning of August. So she wouldn't have had the, the problems of exposure as, you know, like being out overnight the way you would in any other time of the year. This is, I mean, if you're going to be lost, this is the ideal time of year. Right. Now, the corn would have been pretty high. Yeah, late July, early August, it's going to be high. Yeah, higher than... So I'm just thinking, is it possible they missed her? They checked all those fields. They they did, I mean, they alluded to it being a very, you know, not as formal as the gridded off kind of patterns that they do now, mm-hmm. but that people thoroughly checked every row. And, and they I were, think if you, were, if you were searching for your grandchild, you'd be pretty thorough about it, I would think. You wouldn't miss something, you'd, yeah. It's likely she wasn't there. It's, I guess it's not impossible that she was there and they just missed her, but it seems like she would have been alive. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, they checked there very early on in the search. Mm-hmm. That's what I mean. And she, I mean, unless she just ended up there somehow. Well, that would be something you could consider if someone truly died of exposure or starvation. Right. But then you add in this fact that later on when there's an autopsy done, she has several broken vertebrae. Right, exactly. So that's this comes in later. Mm-hmm. So there's two coroners involved, right? There's a like the coroner and the deputy coroner. Yeah. And the one says, just takes a look at her and says, oh, exposure, or mm-hmm. the elements or whatever. And then later on, the second coroner says, wait a minute, she's got a broken neck. Yeah, when they do the when they officially do the autopsy, they find out that she has a broken neck. And there's all kinds of hinky. There's all kinds of hinky theories about this. Yeah, that maybe neck. in the in the process of moving her, which I cannot imagine that anybody would have picked up a dead child in such a horrendous way as to break her neck. Yeah, well, like with that kind of force. Or yeah, and they also, also said if she fell, yeah, the, she didn't. It w- wasn't with enough force. I mean, you'd have to, to even as, even as a two year old, you'd have to fall from a height to br- and land. To yeah, break it neck. doesn't make any sense. If you weight, fell over in a cornfield, it's not enough to break. You know, it really doesn't seem so. So, so that she's also not. She doesn't have a lot of um, trauma otherwise. Like, right. there's one spot in her head. They said that there's like a little blue bruise, which could have been. From tripping, I mean, it, even if something malicious happened to her, if she was wandering around before that, it could have happened, or you know, right. any number of things could have caused that. But she's not like bruised in a she's like horribly beaten. Up. Yeah, it's not, not like horribly beaten. No, drug her around or something like a no. bear had drug her through the woods or something. Yeah, the uh, the only other thing about that is that one of the reporters finds her bonnet. Some some feet away and returns it, and it's been shredded. Right. That could have happened if she was laying there even overnight, even for a few hours. Yeah, but there was no trauma. The no trauma head to her other, now, other than the, the the bruise and the mm-hmm. broken neck. Her clothes were muddy. They said. Yeah, because she it. Now again, they're not clear. Were they were they muddy like she'd been rolling around in the mud, or were they muddy because her body had been laying in the cornfield? That's the way room? they make it seem. Because that part of her, they said her curls that were laying against the ground and her dress that was laying against the ground was had mud on it. So she goes missing on, on what day? On that Tuesday. And she's found on Sunday. On Sunday, so she's missing. 
five, four days. Yeah. Five days, yeah. They also if, say that she has an empty stomach. I was going to say, if removing any environmental concerns, could you take a two-year-old and not feed him? You know, if this sounds cruel. If a two-year-old happened to be away from food through some, you know, agency, would they automatically die? You know, like, like how, how long, long could a, like a small child last yeah, without like, food and water? Yeah, how long does a toddler last? Especially one that's potentially is walking for a while. Right. I mean, she. Because that's the theory. You could say dehydration too, but that broken neck t- just takes all this and throws it out the window to me. Yeah, I could see late July. You're walking around for a while. I don't think that a two-year-old would walk for that long. Yeah, I, two-year-olds take I, naps. Yeah, two-year-olds. I, I don't know, think so either. Two-year-olds cry when they're upset. That's their means of communication. I think she was taken, and she was placed there. I guess the other thing that we need to, what does that say about who potentially had something to do with her disappearance if she was returned? What does that say about the crime in general? Which, to me, I don't know that this is something that happens to us. I mean, it's almost like a, a grand jury investigation when you try to decide if there's enough information to go ahead with. Right. It... But to me, it seemed more like, let's get the men of the town together and just put this behind us. That's really what it feels, because they don't... They don't have any more knowledge of what happened than, certainly than her family. It seems like they're just doing this. Like, let's just do this. To do it. To get this done with and, and say we have a solution. Yeah, but there's a... Meanwhile, there are all these leads, possibilities, and huge questions. Yeah. I mean, we talked about our theories. Some of the possible... Some of the possible suspects last episode. So just read the article from the, the coroner's inquest that you found. Okay, this is from uh, the Morning Call in Allentown, which is... Probably equidistant away from Dryville as Reading is, but just to the north. Coroner's jury at sea in Beam child case finds child died of starvation and broken neck from cause unknown. Coroner John Rourke conducted an inquest at the Dryville Hotel yesterday afternoon into the mysterious death of Jenny Pauline Beam, whose body was found in a cornfield two miles from the home of the parents, six days after the child disappeared from her home near Dryville. After li- deliberating, but a short time, the jury arrived at the verdict that the child died of starvation and a broken neck in a manner of which we have no knowledge at this time. The entire inquest took little less than two hours. The coroner was assisted in questioning the witnesses by District Attorney David Mauger. The first witness called was Deputy Coroner Dr. A.H. Bosher, who conducted the postmortem on the child after the body was found and who discovered that her neck was broken. The physician described his findings, stating that several vertebrae were fractured. County Detective Tully, State Troopers Kane and Burgeon, and eight other witnesses were called before the case was handed to the jury and paneled by Justice of the Peace, F.H. Rinsenhoff. The men had previously viewed the body before its interment at New Jerusalem Church. 
So there's a group of men, and they they range from just being like a mechanic in town, like a former justice of the peace. They're just kind of the guys, you know, like the guys about town that you would think of. They're witnesses. Yeah, their witnesses have nothing to do with the case. They're That's just bizarre. people that live in town trying to decide what they think happened. And, and the coroner's calling the this deputy coroner who who works for him as a witness. That does feel like like let's just get this let's just and so sweep they, this right under the rug and get this over with. And they leave I mean, so basically they leave it as Yeah, something weird happened, but we don't know why and we're not gonna lo- bother to look into it. Yeah. And that's just it. It's done. Uh, yeah, it's why that stinks of small town politics. And I'd like to say Pennsylvania small town politics has changed. I don't in, think that is different time. at all. No. It's... And I think if someone in a position of authority, to me, that lends more credence to the fact that it, somebody in Dryville had everything to do with that. They knew who it was and they just decided, well. Maybe. To me, it's just more the small town thing where it's... We don't want this bother. Right. This is done. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. Like, I, I've mentioned before that I've filed FOIA requests, Freedom mm-hmm. of Information Act requests, for different things in York County. Mm-hmm. Some of them having to do with Toad Road and my research there. Mm-hmm. And they're just not answered. Now, the federal law says they, they have to give me that information. But they just don't. And what can you do about it? Right. And now, yeah. I don't think it's a big conspiracy necessarily. I'm yeah. just like, nah, you don't get that information. We're, mm-hmm. not, we're not digging that old stuff up. Yeah. Who are you? And I think it's the same kind of thing. It's, it's like, it's time to move on. There's nothing we can do about it. What good could come from poking our nose where it doesn't belong kind Do- of thing. Doesn't look good on our On our town. On our Who town. wants there to be a child murderer in our town? It's much better to just say she died in a mysterious way. We'll never know what happened. Yeah. And this, this kind of small town politics stuff continues today in Pennsylvania. I think this also, like I said this before, that when I read the obituaries for both her parents and all of her siblings, of which she had many, some of which were born up to 15 years after she died, She's never mentioned again. I know, yeah. To me, that was just like the saddest thing. I just... Yeah. yeah and I'm not blaming them, but I think there is a, um, an element of just move on. Like, that sort of Pennsylvania Dutch pragmatism that <laughs> keeps people working, keeps people trudging through horrible circumstances. inquest isn't going to call actual suspects and it sounds like they didn't no and it's interesting to me that every time that i've read about other possibilities it hasn't happened within the reading newspapers it's in the philadelphia newspaper the allentown newspapers is an inquest anything really formal or is that just let's just call this an inquest it's not a trial they're meeting at a bar yeah yeah, we what we drove by the drive hotel and I hotel and at the time I remember thinking because it it definitely seems like the center of town if there is such a thing, it's probably the it's one at the square I guess the crossroads. <laughs> <laughs> it looks old. It looks like one of those uh, 
hotels slash bars that have just been around forever and it's like the one place to go in town. Yeah. I don't know. We we were going to stop there and then we decided not to. And now we're like, oh, we should have stopped there. They had the, the inquest there, which we found out after we went. After the fact, yeah. But it, it was by no means a formal judicial kind of... Right. It was... It was like, hmm, how are we going to... I would love to see the minutes of that. They're somewhere. Yeah. There's a lot of things that are just going to take some time. Mm-hmm. So... Since they wouldn't call any suspects, let's let's call our own suspects here. And we talked about this a little bit last episode. I mean, actually, we have as much of a right to do this as they did. <laughs> and we probably have as much, if not more, information than they did at the time. The strange familiar's inquest into Jenny Beam's death. <laughs> We're calling two witnesses. <laughs> <laughs> we kind of eliminated her family. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, not entirely, but we kind of think... If you're going to kill your child, you're not going to return her in a sense to in a place where she'll be found. No, I feel like that's a really crucial clue. And maybe somebody who knows more about um, the psychological aspects of people who, who return a body to the scene of the crime. Right. Or close to the, or scene. Close to the scene of the crime. It, it f- or where, where it'll be found. Yeah. And, and, and I don't know if that's an oddly... I don't want to say loving gesture, but, um, or if it's a vindictive thing. Yeah. It's hard to judge a motive on that. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We have the last person who saw her, who I th- we talked about a little bit last Well, there's time. two last people who saw her. Right. Depending on who you believe. Yeah. There's the neighbor, the little girl in the car with her uncle. Mm-hmm. And then there's the kid who I kind of initially dismissed, this Frank Geisinger kid, who I thought maybe he said he saw her on the outside, outside of an alfalfa field at noon that day. Mm-hmm. The timeline doesn't really add up. But this is the curious thing about it. He's often mentioned in terms of being one of two people, kind of persons of interest at the time. And the other is an unnamed woman. Right. Now hold on to that one. Okay. We have the man driving the car. Which is the uncle of the little girl who saw her. I think we can eliminate the little girl as a suspect. 
Yeah, she was five. I really don't feel like she had a motive. <laughs> man driving the car. To me, that's a big one. Like, I definitely want to spend some time. Especially with because it's a man driving a car with another little girl right. who is in his own. Right. That's not unusual, but. Right. Eh. And the other people we said we'd like to question is the Hollenbachs. Yeah, because of their personal relationship to the family and just the oddness going on there right. at the same time. And then. Late in the case. <laughs> we got a new... Some t- 90 years later. <laughs> we got a new-to-us suspect. Yeah, well, so I read before about when Frank Geisinger is being questioned, that at the same time another woman in the area is being questioned. And I just thought, well, this must be someone either related to Frank or just someone who might know something about it. But she's never named. And then an article pops up in Philadelphia about a woman who's about to be questioned because they perceive her to be the killer. Baby murder laid to spiteful woman. Police blame enemy of family, hundreds at funeral service. Reading, PA, August 6th. Little two-year-old Jenny Beam, who was found dead with a broken neck in a cornfield two miles from her home in Dryville Sunday morning, was buried today. While the farmers from the whole countryside for miles around journeyed with their families to look at the face of the tiny slain child, County Detective Charles Tully and State Trooper W.J. Burgoon scoured the county for the child's murderer. It has been established beyond a doubt that the child was killed. Physicians here have agreed that little Jenny could only have sustained the fracture of her neck by violence, and it is believed the child must still have been living when taken to the cornfield. Police are now working on the theory that a woman committed the deed, a woman who vented her spite on the Beam family by taking the life of the youngest child. Until late tonight, the police were without a tangible clue, but they are confident that tomorrow they will find at least some inkling to the solution of the mystery of the child's death. sheds an entirely different light on it why is she never named yeah why are they are they protecting her they name everybody else they give the location of the this skeleton of a child in a red chest in this cabin where like you said everybody knew where that cabin was probably or could find it easily enough they get, before they go get it mm-hmm. they give this information out in the paper but they don't give this woman's name that she's just a neighbor. Why do they not give her name? She's a person of interest, obviously. Enough that the Philadelphia papers think that the police are about to break the case with this. Right, they think she's kind of the key to the case. She's the case. It's a vindictive neighbor. Which sounds very interesting. There's obviously been tension between these families before. I want to know if there was some witchy stuff going on, too. <laughs> Was she a hex? 
Well, I looked, I, so then I started looking at the census records. So I went to 1920 because you can see all the neighbors. Mm-hmm. And so you see that they, their direct neighbors are um, the grandparents who must live probably in the house next door. Jenny's grandparents. Jenny's grandparents. Mm-hmm. And then there are a few other people. A lot of them have children themselves. I don't know what they'd have against that family. Well, we don't know. You know, I mean, yeah, you don't know what the element is. But does it make more sense for a female to have taken her to return her? That's a dark thing. Because is it? Did she take her and keep her for a while and then didn't know what to do? And I don't know. That's the thing. Like nowadays, they could probably tell whether the neck was broken from like trauma, like blunt force trauma or a fall potentially what angle mm-hmm. the strike was, if it was a strike. That, they had mentioned that her, the way that her neck was broken was very similar to a case that the coroner had investigated a few years previous where a little boy was pushed by another boy and he was pushed down. And when he, I guess when he fell or he hit a fence or something, it broke his neck in a similar fashion. There was a, wasn't there a, um, some kind of barroom fight around here recently with adults where that happened? Yeah, that can happen that... Yeah, so so it can. I mean, it can. It seems like I, you need that extra force that if you just fall. I mean, it can happen. I yeah, guess. and I mean, if somebody hit hit her on the road, I feel like there would be more trauma than just the broken. Yeah. You would see some kind of impact, wouldn't you, if a car hit you? I would think so. Yeah. Even so this idea that someone took her because they hit her and wanted to either get her help or wanted to hide it, if you're doing, if you're taking a body specifically so that you're not found guilty, you don't return it, right? I mean, unless you just you just can't you, you know can't live with yourself, her and you just uh-huh. want to put her someplace where she's going to be found. At that point, though, why not make it ten feet off the road? You know, why so far off the road? And they said that the um, because it was so rainy and so many people had tracked through there day after day after day, they couldn't figure out if the footprints around there were from her, from someone. Oh, okay. It was just too muddy by this point wow. to figure out if it... there was an odd part about the stalks being broken in a way. It reminded me of like uh, crop circles, you know, when they said that the, the, the stalks are laid over in that specific mm-hmm. way. The, the, they were laid over in a way that um, she would have been too small to have managed. You didn't tell me this for the Wu show. I know. That would have been good information. <laughs> I don't think the aliens dropped her back down. That that probably would have explained the trauma <laughs> if you're dropped out of a ship onto the ground. Yeah, but, you know, Bigfoot, he, he breaks stuff over, you know, trees and I think if Bigfoot went through a cornfield, you'd know it. Only if he wanted you to know it. Wow. So, unfortunately, as we mentioned from the start, we don't have any answers. But I feel like the more that we research and the more that... The more that I see how desperately people were trying to not have this be a story, mm-hmm. the more I think that people know. And there's even a, um, there's a beautiful picture, tragic, but beautiful picture of Jenny's funeral 
so it's taking place in 1925. So imagine like little girls in flapper haircuts and little white dresses and little white hats and they're carrying her coffin. Yeah, it's, it's beautiful. It's tragic. It's her, I, th- I assume her sisters and maybe some neighbors. Yeah, this is not uncommon to have little kids carry other little kids' coffins. Wow. And they're coming out of the church that we went to and saw where Jenny was buried. And in the caption below it, it talks about how the, the common thought of the area was that she was murdered. So the the people the people there think she, she was, was murdered. murdered. Now my suspicion would be there was much gossip and much talk about who did it and how it was done. Right. And I think that there are probably people that live there right now who are older who heard about this case from their parents who had an opinion about it about who did it. Like their parents may have said. Yeah. I think it. Was, oh yeah, it was her neighbor and she did this, or oh, it was a you know a jealous this or that, or they were fighting over land, or yeah. It'd be amazing to hear those stories. If there's any. Yeah, any left, I mean, any any people know any? There's got to be somebody that lives close to there that ha- or has a relative that lives close to there. Or... And the thing that I always tell people, and this applies to the podcast, this applies to my books. Just because I publish a book. Just because we publish a podcast, it doesn't mean we're done researching. Mm-hmm. Th- these are things we're interested in, and we we really never stop. Yeah, this is to me. This is an introduction. These three episodes are an introduction to Jenny's story, and we we hopefully we can come back with new information at some point, do follow up or or more one or more follow ups. But we we will continue to research it. We definitely want to get to Driveville again. We want to visit whatever historical societies have the information for Dryville. And, you know, a couple people from the area of Reading have been listening and, and, and contacted us. Maybe maybe they can ask some old timers. and Yeah, they now have a relative or they know someone they work with or somebody. Yeah, because I, I think that was, word of mouth information might be the, where the real treasure is. Yeah, it, I think it's the same as, like, you, you know, my grandfather who never talked about the war and then one night just decided to tell us everything that happened. Yeah, I think, you know, it was, I, th- I think it was your sister, right? She just happened to ask the right question. The right question the right night. And I think that's the, the case with a lot of older people. You catch them in the right mood or the mm-hmm. right day. and They'll just start talking. They'll just start. I think sometimes you just feel like, well, I've kept this secret for so long. What's the point in keeping it forever? So we leave everyone with, with no answers and a lot to think about, hopefully. And, and like I said in the beginning... You know, we invite people to to do their own research with respect, you know, mm-hmm. with, you know, have respect for the people, for the family members that are still alive and, mm-hmm. and for the people that, you know, were directly touched by this case. Because it's that's my issue with a lot of the true crime stuff. That's my issue with like the missing 411 stuff it's when people are still alive and people start wildly speculating when family members are still alive of these people and people start wildly speculating about either paranormal things or crazy theories and this and that, it it can't be pleasant for the family to have to hear that stuff. No, and I do so have this, this some... this case is very old, and you said her, her siblings... She has one sibling that is still alive. One sibling still alive. So as I said, like we, we do invite people to do their own research, do it with respect... And uh, we'd love it if you shared anything you found with us. And, and yeah, we're I mean, happy I've, to share I've with mulled you. it over and I know how to get in contact with her niece. I have her, I figured out where she lives. <laughs> yeah, I figure, but I, 
I don't know if that's the right thing to do. Right. Right. Well, like I said before, I really feel like this is like just a prelude to a bigger story. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't want this to be the end. I want this to be the beginning of, um, yeah, we've laid the groundwork. Like a shared resolution. Yeah, and it'd be it'd be really amazing to come back. And hopefully this works as as kind of a tribute to Jenny's memory. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it, it all came from a memorial card, I think, is kind of poetic. Mm-hmm. This, it, it worked. The memorial card worked. Yeah, yeah, it did. You know? It memorialized her. Yeah. Here we are almost 100 years later talking about her. Yep. Maybe there's some renewed interest in the case and, and there's a solution of some sort. Or maybe, like I said, maybe in a number of years, somebody's looking back on old podcasts and says, what's this one about? Mm-hmm. And and listens and, and it, it, it sparks their interest in the case. Yeah, I mean, it, it's my understanding that unsolved murders just remain that way until someone... This is the book is never closed. Well, yeah. Well, I guess that would depend on if the... If you had an inquest about <laughs> Well, yeah. Did they conclude it was a murder or did they conclude it was just yeah. a, an unsolvable death? An uns- yeah. So, thanks for listening to The Broken Circle. Stay tuned. We have more Strange Familiars after this. <laughs> You've been listening to Strange Familiars. We are coming up, or we actually, I guess we're right in the middle, technically, mm-hmm. of the 90th anniversary of the Hex murder. Yeah, it happened over what at that time was Thanksgiving. Right. So, I guess we're... It'll be like in a few hours, it'll be the day that they found him. That they found Nelson mm-hmm. Raymar. By the time this airs, it'll have been a few days. <laughs> it'll have been a few days. And, and we covered that back in the f- very first three episodes we talked about. Yeah, because it's something that, you know, when you talk about local folklore, it's the story. Yeah, I mean, they literally called it the trial of the century. Which they do until another big story comes right, along. <laughs> right before OJ. Mm-hmm. You know, this was... Or Fanny Arbuckle. Fatty Arbuckle, right? Did they call that the trial yeah, of the Yeah, that was the well. trial of the century. Yeah, they, and the Lindbergh trial, that was the trial of the century. Was that before or after Remar? Um, it, the Lindbergh would have been after. After, so yeah, so it's... But just briefly. This, they, they were calling the trial of the century. It brought I think people it's, in from, you know, reporters were in from all all over, from, you know, at least as far away as New York. I really think of it as the end of Pennsylvania Dutch culture in a lot of ways. It is in a sense of, I don't know how many people watched Carnival, the series on HBO, Uh but it was like the atomic bomb marked the end of magic. Yeah, where science kind of flips and becomes the more dominant. And it kind of works in the same way. It's almost like, like the end of... Now it still exists, you know. The, but the, it's also the end of Pennsylvania Dutch culture being this insular, private. People know it exists, but they don't know too much about it. It's it's really an intrusive window, which is something that Pennsylvania German people do not care for. You're kidding me. <laughs> Maybe I'm projecting, but. <laughs> 
But I think Pennsylvania Dutch people, as a general rule, are uh, be kind to your neighbors, wave to them, be hospitable. But you, but you don't need to welcome them in all the time. <laughs> <laughs> live and let live. So I invite people to go back to, I think it's episode one of Strange Familiars, where we talked about the hex murder. If you want a, like a more detailed mm-hmm. account of that, there are any number of podcasts and online articles that talk about the hex murder and hex hollow with some varying are, amounts of accuracy. Yeah, some have done a good job. Um, the Hex Hollow movie documentary, it, it, it does a pretty good job. Yeah, coming. I think that was, I was very surprised when they, they're interviewing um, the last remaining relatives that remember. Right. Who you met, you, you know some of the people they interviewed in that movie. Yeah, right? one of them was a customer of mine at work. Yeah. So I think they did a, a pretty, a pretty even-handed job. There have been some, some real hatchet jobs. Uh, there's a, there's a local lawyer who wrote a book and we saw him give a talk and, and boy, the tone of that talk was, was like Nelson Raymire was murdered. Yeah. But he kind of deserved it because he was into all that bad stuff. He was, he was a witch. He was into all yeah, that If you're going to be a journalist reporting on a crime, I know this is the age of fake news and total bias, but in my mind, you still cover it in a, in an objective way or as objective as you can be. And he had the most subjective viewpoint. He had an agenda. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, that, and that's a revisionist history on religion in relation to powwow. Yes, it really very much that, is. That's more of an evangelical or just like, a, that's a more recent development. Mm-hmm. Very interesting story. It is covered in my in my first book, Beyond the Seventh Gate, as well. That's my take on it. And one thing that this is something that, that we wanted to talk about, and it just didn't seem appropriate to talk about in Beyond the Seventh Gate because it's, you know, the book is it's about cryptids and weird stuff and, mm-hmm. and so forth. And Anthony didn't want us to talk about it on Strange Familiars because he was, he thought it, I was just uh, bringing it up in the wake of Bernie Sanders and so forth. But we have discussed the possibility that of of Nelson Raymire's villainization because the fact that he was a socialist and nobody seems to cover that, but there, there is mentioned in some of the old articles and in the original book hex that covered the story that he had socialist posters up in his house and he was politically active. And in the newspapers preceding this, you know, there's a time when the Raymire name in that area didn't have anything to do with the murder. They were just the people that lived in that area. Right. They called it Raymire Valley before, you know, real early on. And then it became Raymire Hollow a little bit later. And he was very active in speaking out on behalf of his children. There are several mentions of him in the newspaper. I mean, this idea that he's just sort of this. Didn't he ran for the school board or something? There was something where he, he he's was. He's related to his, his children. He had some. Some some beef with a school on behalf of his I th- children. I thought he wanted to he wanted to do something for improvement of the school. I don't know if it was running up for the school board or something, but in any case, socialism back then this is you know it's not quite the Red Scare, but this is at the time where we're in between the wars. And I mean the big demons are are often like like the anarchists are like if you just if you call someone an anarchist it's like calling them a terrorist today. Mm-hmm. You know, those are the big scaries 
back then. And uh, we often wondered if he wasn't demonized for as much being a socialist as he was for practicing power. Or I just think that it's just that idea of the outsider. Mm -hmm. Just someone who just doesn't abide by convention. Yeah. And how it's very easy when something happens to someone who doesn't abide by convention to, to put some sort of onus on that person as being responsible for their own death when right. he was nothing but hospitable. I mean, he invited the murderers in he and gave them dinner. Exactly. You know, like. exactly. He, he, he had healed one of them when they were a child. I mean, and he continued to heal his, his neighbors. You know, whether he believed it worked or if it was just... I often wonder if if this case had happened, but instead of it being a man who lived by himself apart from his family, if it was a woman, if she would have been seen as a witch in the whole... And powwow would have been cast in in that light. No, yeah, absolutely. Even more so, perhaps. Yeah. Even more so. Very few women powwow doctors in the papers, I've noticed aren't called witches, witches yeah. <laughs> whereas every now and then often the men are as well but every now and then you'll get a man who's like oh no he's just a powwow doctor he's mm-hmm. he's a good guy and they'll make the distinction but very few women powwow doctors aren't called witches and it, you know either outright or or by a serious suggestion so it's 90th anniversary of uh yeah it's funny because the first time that i heard the story you know it was sort of talked about because it it was an area close to where i grew up and because my dad does genealogy on sundays instead of going to church we'd go to cemeteries right and uh, i remember going to sadler's church where he's buried and just to look for names at that point when you did genealogy just have like boxes he carried with you to try to look for names because that's the primary source material you're looking for stones right you know before ancestry.com and um my dad was telling me about what happened there and but the crux of the story at that point was that my grandfather had actually witnessed the funeral because he was a he was a kid but he was working on his grandfather's farm and he and he was so impressed by the amount of cars and the press that had come in for the funeral. Right. And he got to watch it that day. Yeah, he was well, in, like in a field kind of overlooking the Yeah, Sabbath he was in church, a field, right? yeah, overlooking the church and saw the... Wow. I mean, it must have been really impressive because at the time he would have been probably less than 10. Yeah, I mean, it was a, really was a media circus going on here. I know I mean, he would have been, yeah, about 10. They talk, The trial was the same way. They talk about like the number of cars just lined up outside the courthouse. And, and... Yeah, and you see all these old, and I, I know I'll be corrected but they look like model t's to me but yeah, whatever <laughs> whatever they the equivalent is but you imagine vehicle. like a line of old-timey cars we haven't done this but we have this amazing primary source material in an interview in several interviews several interviews that my mom did in the 70s yes and that that will be a major part of our our powwow show uh which is upcoming i know i keep promising that but it's I will I will work on it, I promise. I mean, you had to transfer over a lot of things from tapes that weren't at the right speed. and Yeah, I had to speed correct them and, and digitize them and, and so forth. And they're all digitized now. I, I, I think they're speed. I think I speed correct them as I digitized them. But if not, I might have to still speed correct them. But 
in any case. But it'll be great because we'll be able to finally introduce people to the guy that's on the beginning of every Strange Familiars episode. We get a lot of questions about, yes. Yeah, so he was a powwow doctor from Jacobus, Pennsylvania. So, uh, yeah. And we almost need a translation for what he's saying in the beginning because I don't know that, like, without knowing what he's saying that I would necessarily know it. Really? They say if our eyes were created a slight different, when we talk, you'd see flames of fire coming out of our mouth. <laughs> and he just said that in passing, just like as a... <laughs> I, I mean, it was part of the part of the interview. I think he was talking about the, the wonders that are in the universe that, that we that we have access to that, that yeah it's it's like a very um primitive form of understanding science and i often wondered there's a there's a scene in the movie with uh, donald sutherland yeah what is that um apprentice to murder yeah which is based on it's ba- based on the the hex murder it's not it's not a direct thing but it's, it's kind of based on, on those it events. has a what do the kids say a mood kind of out of nowhere there's not a lot of like harry potter style magic in in that movie you know there's there's i i think in the beginning they they get a cure a rabid dog or or scare a rabid dog away with one of the charms but it's not like you know a laser beam shoots out of somebody's wand or anything like that it's it's you know, it's kind that of that would like, have been helpful considering that's the exact area where you ran into the rabbit wrecking. <laughs> well, in the movie, that happens mm-hmm. outside the cigar factory, I think, or, oh, or whatever okay. stands in for the cigar factory. Oh, okay. I, I think there it might be a mine or something in the movie. I forget. But in any case, um, out of nowhere, uh, and I believe it's during the the murder scene or the attempted murder scene, the the fellow that's the the, the sort of Raymire character opens his mouth and breathes out fire in that movie and it kind of comes out of nowhere and at the point they made that movie your mom's tapes would have been yeah because we just found the other night that somebody had used the tapes to basically fashion a whole article as if they had interviewed philip smith yeah exactly and they were they're clearly from her tapes and they even credit her mom's tapes yeah so i i often wonder if they hadn't just listened to those as you know come they came to york looking for source material and they found those tapes, and they—it was just such a great line. If they didn't use it for the movie, I think, you know, I guess you'd have to find somebody who who worked in that movie and ask them. But it, it'd be really interesting. You know, it's, it's re- really cool uh, if it if it was that. So as I mentioned before, my version of the story of Hex Hall is in my book, Beyond the Seventh Gate, my first book. I have just published my new book, which is called Don't Look Behind You. It's kind of a companion piece to Beyond the Seventh Gate, but you don't have to read Beyond the Seventh Gate to read Don't Look Behind You and vice versa. I do not have copies of the book in hand yet. It's available on Amazon.com. If you look up Timothy Renner, all of my books come up on there. I will have copies soon for people who want signed copies. We will be giving copies away to patrons. If you're a patron, that's a, another bonus giveaway coming up. We'll probably give two copies of that book away. If you like the things we talk about on Strange Familiars, I think you'd like Don't Look Behind You. There are some things that we have covered on the show. I, I write out the full Site 7 saga, I think, up, up until the last visit of the show, which I think was a, a patron episode we covered. 
So I cover all the information on Site 7. I cover a lot of the weird synchronicity that happened to me in Hex Hollow in Don't Look Behind You. And there's a lot of new stuff that I haven't talked about in there as well. These are new reports. People came to me with new cryptid sightings. Uh, there's new historical information in the area I dug up, which is uh, very, very interesting. For instance, uh, we found out that what is now Toad Road was actually the towpath. The tow road. Yeah, it was the tow road. It's the towpath for the Cadoras Creek, which was used to, they actually, it was navigable water. They sailed barges up it to Cadoras Furnace and, and even went out to the Susquehanna. In fact, the first iron steamboat ever built was built in York. And technically they say it, it, it sailed first on the Susquehanna River, but it was... But it had to get there from the Cadoras. Had Cadoris. to get there from uh, up the Cadoras. So technically the first iron steamboat was in the Cadoras. The Cadoras must have been much bigger then. Well, they called it the Cadoras River back then. And they did have mm. different locks and stuff mm. kind of built on it. But no, that's why they had these, these towpaths. Because it, it wasn't that much bigger. And it wasn't, you know, it's not incredibly deep. And they needed to pull these barges and boats along. Mm-hmm. So it became somewhat obvious, I think. Once I read you this article, I said, oh, look, it was, a, it was the towpath. And you went, tow road. And I went, oh, yeah, right? <laughs> so that seems the most obvious yeah. answer to where towed road came from. Mm-hmm. It's very, very interesting. Uh, I found evidence of a, of a dynamite plant being in the area. That's a really cool story. And it ties in perhaps with a, a Mothman sighting and so forth. So I found a lot of um, new information historical information about the area too, which I didn't have in the first book, along with the new witness reports, lots of cryptid stuff and lots of my own weird experiences this time. In the first book, I didn't, I didn't have any of my experiences in there. This time I do quite a lot of weird experiences and synchronicity and, and so forth. I think it's my best looking book to date, if I have to say so. I think, I think I did uh, several full page illustrations, which, which are bleeds this time. And Almost all of those are new. Some of them I had used uh, in conjunction with music projects in the past, but uh, most of the most of the illustrations are all new. I did chapter mastheads this time, which changes with each chapter. It's got a, a little inset that changes with each chapter, and then spot illustrations for the end of each chapter. I just I'm, I'm really happy with the overall design of it. I think it's my best looking book to date. So go ahead and pick that up on Amazon if you want. Don't Look Behind You by Timothy Renner. Or, again, uh, you can get it directly from me. You can just contact me from Strange Familiars. All the information, the contact information from Strange Familiars goes to me. If you want to get a signed copy. And I will have a special priced set where if you want to get Beyond the Seventh Gate and Don't Look Behind You together as one set, I'll do that at a special price whenever I have the books in hand. It should be soon. patrons strange familiars could not happen without you thank you so much for your support i think in the new year really dedicated to providing a lot of exclusive content to the patrons because that's what keeps it going we're always focused on that uh like i said we, we do full episodes for patrons 
not just little patron segments. And that's not a, that's not a slight to anyone who does that for their podcast. It's, you know, content is content. It's awesome. But we try to do full episodes for our patrons. We've been averaging two a month. We're going to try to keep that up going into the new year. If you'd like to be a patron and if you'd like to help us make Strange Familiars, go to patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. I'd also like to thank Serata for reading all the articles during the Broken Circle. I think that her her voice really added a nice old-timey touch to it. <laughs> Serata's great, and a lot of people ask, like, like who is that? Who is that? Who, who, who's, who's that She woman? is exactly the person that she sounds like. <laughs> She's just from another time. And I said, I mean, Serata has been singing with me for... <sighs> 20 years yeah something like that a long long time she's been singing stone breath and and other projects with me and and we'll continue to make music together but uh when when i needed someone to read articles i felt like she's the perfect voice yeah, for it. yeah. She, she'll be perfect she, she is she's fantastic and a lot of people are like who is that so. yeah and if you have a, a an old-timey voice and you'd like to give her a break and you'd like to read some articles for us just give us a call sure absolutely <laughs> absolutely we're always looking for stories. If you have a story that you think we should cover, or if you have a personal experience with a strange or unusual. Or an unsolved mystery. Absolutely. Contact us, strangefamiliars.com. All the contact information is there. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash strangefamiliars. Strange Familiars is a production of Dark Holler Arts, music, books, art, podcasts, and more. DarkHollerArts.com The music in this episode is all by Buell Kazee. The Strange Familiars theme and intro music is by Stonebreath. Go to stonebreath.bandcamp.com for more. Coming. The crowd is standing round. Go 
take me to some lonesome graveyard and let the grave be my home. And when I'm dead and buried, will you come stroll some flowers to show the people around about you the heart you've broken life's there? Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a Swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.